Hey Cast Cowboys, Lana Freshly here from the College of Arts and Sciences. Welcome to the Pokes Podcast. Today, we will be talking to Kristen Duncan and Christina Elliott from the OSU Museum of Art. We'll be talking about the George Kravis Collection. Enjoy! Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thank you. We are so excited to talk a little bit about the George Kravis Collection. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about uh, George Kravis and his passion for collecting art. Yeah, George Kravis, he was actually, he was a Tulsa native, and he just grew up in a family that loved art and art education. Um, His mother actually collected the Russell Wright uh, ceramics, and his home was full of really unique works of art, and there was just an attitude of gifting art to each other. I know his father and mother gave him a few works of art, and we actually have a famous work on display from Hans Hoffman that was gifted to him by Harry, his brother. So just that climate of appreciating art and growing up with that from a young age, he was actually, he was only 11 years old when he um, acquired his first work of art, which was an RCA Victor record changer. It's really unique. It's this cool boxy piece, but it has a fun red top to it and he bought it just for the way it looked and from then on he really became an art collector and he honed in eventually to collect modern and industrial design pieces but it's really unique you can definitely see his passion for art and his aesthetic and his style by visiting the exhibition in the mind of a collector it's it's pretty fun. Oh, that's awesome. And I love that idea that he would get everyday pieces. So that was pretty common for Kravis. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, That industrial design is just another way to say that you're appreciating the design of an everyday piece. So whether it's a teapot or a chair or a typewriter or anything like that, just looking at it as a work of art instead of just what its function is so it's we've got some really interesting industrial design pieces in this exhibition yeah and beyond art it's really cool because these industrial pieces we can really see the beauty of progression right so just seeing how art has transformed over time with the industrial of how we put things together what we think about when we're designing pieces, that has really stood out. So I love seeing the history of these too, because you know we're talking a little bit about a record changer and some of our audience may not even know what that is. So oh, just absolutely. being able to have that glimpse into history is something so special that we can actually experience right here in Stillwater. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, there's something really interesting about, uh, there's a whole wall of vintage radios And so you can see that progression in design and technology, but then there are a lot of objects that although they're from, you know, the 30s, the 40s, 50s, or 60s, they still look incredibly futuristic. And so there's chairs and typewriters and vases that look like they could be um, from the future, from a sci-fi movie. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I love that. So it's not just everyday items in this piece, right? So we have a lot of different artists that represent this exhibit. So tell me a little bit about who we can expect to see when coming to the OSU Museum of Art. So we were gifted about 700 items from George's 
5,000 piece collection. 5,000? Yes, and so when we say there's a wide variety of objects and artworks to look at, that's uh, certainly just putting it lightly. Um, approximately 200 of the pieces that we received are fine art, so paintings, prints, formal artist videos, and installation pieces. And about 500 of them are specifically um, objects within industrial and product design. Um, so all of these objects really showcase George's collection and in turn his personality. Um, but there are certainly heavy hitters from the art world uh, and the world of design and architecture, like the Hans Hoffman piece. There are two Picasso prints. Um, Robert Cunningham, Frank Gehry, and Frank Lloyd Wright are also represented. But there's also these items that delightfully reflect popular culture, um, such as this wall of vintage radios. Uh, there is a lip-shaped Studio 54 Bauka sofa, as well as uh, some items that you've probably seen before, like these Russell Wright dinnerware pieces. I love that. And we were talking a little before the episode about the lip couch. Uh, <laughs> it's so pretty, right? It's beautiful. <laughs> so tell our audience a little bit about what that looks like and why it's why we call it the lip couch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it's it got a really unique story behind it as well. Um, it's actually inspired by Marilyn Monroe's lips, and it's this larger-than-life sofa in the shape of lips. It's bright, bright red. And um, it is just beautiful. It doesn't even really look like a sofa. It looks like a set of lips. And I think um, there was this trend to style furniture uh, on lips. And it actually, I think, started with Salvador Dali. And yeah. he did a series of lips sofa inspired by Mae West. So it's really interesting to get that Hollywood-inspired piece, and it's definitely an iconic piece, and I keep trying to remind myself that this is now ours. It's the OSU Museum of Arts, and it can be seen for generations to come. Same idea with the Picasso etchings. I cannot believe that that has now become a part of our permanent collection. So it's really great to kind of tell our audience that you'll be able to come back and see these for years to come. Yeah, it's surreal. How special a lot is of that? <laughs> yeah, that is so cool that we're able to capitalize on the fact that we have this art and then people can just come whenever um, and just see this throughout their lifetime. So not only can they share that experience with whoever they're with right now, but maybe that's with their kids and grandkids mm -hmm. in the future. So I love sharing that experience. So we talked a little bit about Kravis's collection going to different institutions and exhibits around uh, Oklahoma and around the world, really, right? So where all was Kravis's collection spread out? So like I said, there was a massive collection, um, which he graciously shared with his community and many of his favorite museums. So this 5,000-piece collection that he actually amassed um, over approximately 40 to 50 years was shared with 10 different institutions. And so these institutions were invited um, by his family and his estate to request from this collection. These included the Indianapolis Museum of Art, uh, the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Design Museum in New York, the Grand Rapids Art Museum, and amongst a few others, of course, the OSU Museum of Art. 
We showcased part of the exhibition in 2017 before George's death, and so did the, the Cooper Hewitt um, in New York. And he was over the moon about both of those exhibitions to see it in New mm -hmm. York City and be shared with the East Coast audience, as well as um, having it here in Stillwater as he was Tulsa-based. He really loved Oklahoma and wanted to share it with his local community as well. That is so cool. And what I love about this and the OSU Museum of Art is at OSU, we put a high priority on our arts and humanities and how we can share that with everyone around us. So I love that we put this importance into the collection and in our community because we know how important it is to share that art and the education that people can gain from that. So I love that. So we've talked a little bit about the pieces and what people can expect whenever they come to the museum. Um, so I have to ask, what are your favorite pieces of this exhibit? I'll start. Um, I My absolute favorite, it's called White Walker, and it's by an artist named Brian Bress. And it's a digital piece, so it's a, a mounted digital monitor, and it's a video of the artist as he's walking, almost it looks like he's walking into the room, and he's on the treadmill. He created this intricate suit that covers his whole body, head to toe, of paper tubes that hang off of him and it almost looks like think of the dogs from the dog show I think it's called a common door they're the white dogs with the dreadlocks and their their fur kind of sways and it's got that beautiful effect and he does so many intricate things with his hands and with his head and he's got so much personality that he brings to this character um, and I actually learned the other day that he was inspired by the Sesame Street puppets. So it's such a fun piece. I know some people find it really creepy, but I find him so full of personality and he's so unique. So every time I walk into the um, Kravis Gallery, I am just incredibly amazed by what he's doing. And I always take a peek at him and it's definitely an interactive piece. He's engaging with the viewer. Um, which is a little bit different than some art, um, but that's that's my favorite. That one is definitely entrancing. It is a crowd favorite. We see people just stand in front of it, and they'll watch the duration of the entire video, which is sometimes uncanny. How long is um, that usually? It's about two and a half minutes. Oh, it's longer. I think it's, it's longer. Almost 10. Yeah. Is it? It's almost ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> see, time flies yeah. when you're like fully focused. Yeah. <laughs> And what about you? What's your favorite piece? My my favorite piece is kind of hard to choose, but I think uh, right now, it might change in a week or two, is the Valentine Portable Typewriter, uh, which was designed um, by the Olivetti um, Italian design firm. And it's gorgeous. It's definitely one of those objects um, that looks very futuristic. It's bright red, it's sleek, um, and it's incredibly... Uh, functional and it's got a clever design and so the case that snaps over the top of the typewriter actually doubles as a trash can <laughs> and so it's when you're so traveling cute. yeah you can take you know the typewriter out of the case set it on your desk and then set the trash can top next to you and if anyone listening is a writer then you know how frustrating it is sometimes when you have writer's block or how many drafts or edits you go through and so 
that sort of quirky yet um, functional aspect of it, I really appreciate. I think it's kind of a little bit whimsical and humorous at the same time. Absolutely, It sounds so cool. And what I love about this exhibit too is it sounds like there's so many things for people that have all kinds of interests. So you were talking a little bit about how writers might find an interest in this. And then we talked a little bit about the radio collection. So that might be of interest to people, but really everyone can find something that they like here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What other pieces do you think are unique to this collection that people might really enjoy? Yeah, there's, I think we mentioned, there's a few pieces um, of chairs that were designed by architects. There's one that's really unique. It was designed by Alvar Alto, and he designed it for the purpose of tuberculosis patients and um, helping them heal and being able to breathe. So it's I love the idea and it's an incredible concept that it was designed for a function and it's become a work of art and now it's looked at um, with appreciation and the curvature of the chair and just the unique way that it was formed. So that's a really unique piece. As you mentioned, the radios are really cool. On the radios, they're all from the 30s and 40s and it was just this era of they used to be put into these big furniture pieces, big wooden clunky furniture, and then they transitioned to making these radios with plastic and using molds. And so they've got these really cool shapes, bright, bright colors, and they're all different and unique. So there's, I feel like there's something in there for everyone. Yeah. Those fine art lovers can come and expect some really cool, unique fine art really great objects that you can find in our in our exhibition as well. Yeah, we were talking about that Frank Gehry armchair and ottoman, um, which, you know, is shaped like a very traditional sort of mundane armchair and ottoman you would see. Um, but the designer was trying to experiment with different materials and sustainable materials. And so he actually used corrugated cardboard and cardboard kind of like a cat scratcher a little bit, which (laughs) we're all familiar with now. It is sort of folded on itself, um, glued together, and then cut again. And so it has this tactile element of texture where it is so interesting. And all of these different cut pieces of cardboard create this pattern that is so alluring. It is actually one of the most touched objects it in the is. show, which Please is don't touch the art. not usually allowed. <laughs> and so it, it puts our uh, student museum associates, our security guards, definitely on high alert whenever anyone is around the Gary armchair and ottoman. But it's just fascinating how you could sort of reimagine a traditional or sort of an everyday piece of furniture like this. It also apparently, um, because of the way that the corrugated cardboard is glued together um, and pieced in different sections, it can hold a Volkswagen Beetle. Oh my gosh. So it is fully yes. functional. It's, it is fully Structural. functional. Wow. Yes. Apparently yeah, they say, did that as a demonstration one yeah. time. I will say we did um, create a touchable texture uh, piece out of cardboard for visitors to be able to experience what it feels like because we don't want visitors to touch the works of art, but we definitely want them to come and engage with the artwork. And we want people to be able to experience it tactilely and just and play and have fun at the museum. So that was one thing that one of our educators put together. Yes, sensory elements are important, but 
touching the actual work of art. Uh, our collection managers do not like that. We don't want to give them any <laughs> headaches. So, Well, that's understandable, but I'm glad that there's a way that people can go ahead and engage with the art and feel that sample cardboard so they can at least feel what it feels like to be a part of that art in the chair. So that's so cool. What are you hoping people gain from this experience? Uh, definitely, like we've touched on in this conversation, that people really find a personal connection to the work. Um, there is this variety of objects from fine art to everyday items, um, and whether it be something that moves them aesthetically, an artwork that really wows them, or a design that they haven't thought of before, they're impressed by how clever it is. Even thinking about memory and how collecting can spark nostalgia, there's just so many different possible associations. Um, sometimes just thinking about George and his personality and the way people collect. Some of the objects definitely remind me of family members who loved antiquing or people, you know, you see this whole wall of radios and it reminds me of a friend who collects Pez dispensers and has 50 of them or Star mm -hmm. Wars figurines that are proudly displayed, you know, in an old china cabinet. And so I think there's a lot of different ways for people to enter the show. If you haven't seen a Picasso close-up, it is certainly yes. your chance to do so. And so there's a whole variety of experiences that people can walk away with. Christina, I'm really glad you mentioned that concept of what we find special and, and how we will hold on to certain possessions over time. We are actually, as a part of In the Mind of a Collector, we have a special community art project that um, several events are associated with and it's called Cherished Possessions and we're just inviting the community and anyone who wants to be a part of this project to bring in an object to have it photographed and then those photos are displayed in a mini vault um, as a part of the exhibition. It is so much fun. It's really cool to see what people bring in and what the stories are associated with it. Love that. That is so cool. So um, tell us a little bit more about the community art project. So do they need to call ahead or what do they need to do no, to plan absolutely. to be a we, part of that? We have a few events um, that we are associating with cherished possessions. So we had one in February on the 28th where we had the whole community members bring in objects. We also have one March 14th on a second Saturday. You can come in anytime from 11 to three, bring in your object and um, we'll photograph it. As long as we're open, you're invited to come in and bring your object. We have someone who can help you be a part of that community project. That's so cool. And I love that we can be a part of history and art. So it's such a beautiful crossover. I, I know you all have some other exhibits and events coming up. So tell me a little bit what else you have coming up at the museum. Sure. I'll start with our second Saturday events. Um, so I just mentioned on March 14th, we'll have the Cherished Possessions event. We also have on April 11th, second Saturday is going to be inspired by radios and by music, which is associated with the exhibition and we'll have a day of art activities and karaoke, so it'll be super fun. We have Second Saturday in May on the 9th, and that is gonna be inspired by pop art. So think Andy Warhol, think Roy Lichtenstein, and it's gonna be a lot of fun, bright art activities, so that will be super fun too. 
Yeah, uh, part of our other ongoing programming is Final Fridays, and so these are the final Friday of the month. Uh, every month during the semester is from 5 to 7. Um, March 27th, uh, our March Final Friday will be a mocktail meet and greet, and so we also have this really fun uh, mini exhibit of Kravis items in our display case that is called Cheers, celebrating 1930s cocktail culture. Oh, and so fun. it is really fun. It is a bunch of canapé trays, um, vintage shakers, and sort of cocktail serving ware. And so we'll have mocktails at the gallery, but we also have uh, a few artists uh, on residency who will be there for a meet and greet. And they are really preparing for a larger exhibition uh, in August, as well as a smaller sort of preemptive exhibition of that in April. And then our April final Friday on the 24th, we're partnering um, with the English department's Frontier Horizon, uh, which is their literary magazine. And so we will be helping host their book launch. And so that is gonna be a, a party. They really want to sort of connect it to the Met Gala. Uh, and so they are going to do an art-based theme and encourage people uh, to wear extravagant costumes. Now, are they encouraged to create their own costumes like as an art piece or just whatever you want? I'm hoping some yeah, people absolutely. will come creating their costumes. I, I can anticipate that we'll have a wide variety of people just wanting to dress up and wear out some nice clothes. But I also do hope some people will create some uniquely inspired costumes. Yeah, I mean, we won't turn anyone away if you come, you know, in jeans and a t-shirt. Uh, but, you know, I think we're going to see fancy dress all the way to fully fabricated costumes, yeah. uh, especially with cosplay being all the rage right now. I feel like people are pulling out, you know, foam core board and <laughs> sewing together things quite readily. So I'm interested to see what they produce. Oh, that's so cool. I can't wait to see all the costumes and wardrobes that we get to see from that exhibit. That's going to be fun. Headpieces galore. Yeah. Really. <laughs> we also have a great event coming up in March on the 28th, I believe. Um, it's not associated with this exhibition, but it's to help kick off and celebrate Pride Week. So we have a drag story time event. It's going to be so much fun and I just can't wait. I think that'll be just a great way to engage with not only students, but with the community as well. Oh, that is so cool. And then is that going to be a weekly event or is it so just that, a one time? Right now it's a one-time thing, but okay. we're hoping that we can create opportunities in the future where we can have some consistent events. And if it's a big hit, then we'd love to be able to do it again. I love all the proactive events because I love getting people involved. In the arts, there's room for everyone, and that's what I love about it. So I hope that everyone has the opportunity to come enjoy George Kravis's collection. And if you miss it this time, there will be pieces in the future that you'll definitely want to see. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time, Kristen and Christina. Uh, we can't wait to talk about future exhibits. I know we have some um, in the tunnel right now that we're planning oh, yes. on talking about. So, <laughs> But we won't lay them on everyone yet. We're going to wait for a future podcast for that. Um, thank you all so much for coming in. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to the Pokes Podcast. To learn more about the George Kravis exhibit, visit museum.okstate.edu. 
We'll finish our podcast, How We Do Every Episode, with the question, how do the arts and sciences make the world a better place? Let's hear what they have to say. For me, art is just such a great way to express how you think and what you feel. And um, I think often uh, people get really intimidated by art, but there's really nothing to be intimidated about. You do not have to be a super talented realism painter to be able to do art and create artwork. And really, I think it's a way that you can add beauty to the world and express yourself and also find appreciation with with what others are creating. So I just absolutely love that. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. My answer is kind of just expanding on some of those points about expression, but um, one of my mottos is that art is a conduit for every conversation. And so art can definitely allow us to express ourselves and um, find a channel for the way we feel, but it can also be very interdisciplinary um, in the way that it can touch on all different kinds of social, political, historical aspects. We can use art to talk about different time periods, different countries, different cultures, um, and we can really see it as a way to relate to other people and as a starting point for a whole multitude of different conversations. And so... Um, you know, we love talking about art for art's sake, but art yeah. as a dynamic aspect of multiple conversations um, is really a gateway. You're and I so love right. that about art. And it brings us together. It definitely. definitely will connect people and kind of connect ideas. So that's that's a fantastic yeah. way to like, put it. You might not know anything about the Spanish Revolution, but if you're looking at Goya's May 1st, you can start to relate to the emotion that these characters are showing, right? You can kind of enter it from that point and explore that situation a little bit more. And so artwork definitely enables us um, to think a little bit differently in some of these topics. Mm -hmm.